Welcome to the Starkville State of Mind Podcast. Here is your host, Justin Strawn. Welcome to the Starkville State of Mind Podcast. I am your host, Justin Strawn. Glad to be with you on what is an unusual week in which I'm doing a midweek podcast and kind of combining the two podcasts that I normally do, where I normally do a look back at the previous weekend's game and I'll do a look ahead to the following weekend's game. I didn't get a chance to record. It's been it's been crazy recently, guys. Lots of things going on in outside of my podcasting life, so I just haven't had as much time to record. I've got a lot of stuff going on at school right now, so it's just been difficult to find time to record. So just one episode this week. I'm sorry I didn't have a preview episode for the LSU Tigers, but let's be honest, that's probably about what we thought all would happen. Actually, it was a little bit closer than I thought it would be, but we'll get into that here in just a little bit. But before we do anything else, let's talk about our sponsor, the good folks at Cherokee Valley Golf Course. If you're a golfer and you live in the Greater Memphis area, you're probably just like me looking for the best opportunity for you to spend your golfing time wisely. Well, why not look and check out Cherokee Valley Golf Course? My son and I golf there almost every single time we go out, and it's a great course whether you're a skilled golfer looking for a challenge or if you're a beginner somewhat like me and just trying to learn how to play the game. My son and I have been playing there for years, and we would highly recommend it. They've done a great job of keeping the course maintained. It's a beautiful course, lots of wonderful practice facilities, no reason that you shouldn't be out there honing your game. So if you're in the Olive Branch area or in the greater Memphis area, give Cherokee Valley Golf Course a look and go ahead and tell them I sent you. That's Cherokee Valley Golf Course. You can call them at 662-893-4444 or you can book a tee time online at olivebranchgolf.com. Real quick before we get into the actual show, I do want to remind you that if you would prefer to get your your podcast through iTunes, through Google Play, through Spotify, whatever it may be that you prefer to get your, your, your podcasting services through, I have those things available for you. All you have to do is to go onto the appropriate apps. Like I said, go into the the podcast app on your your iPhone or your iPad, and you can look up Starkville State of Mind. You will find it there. While you're there, please give us a five-star review. I would really like to get the show out there more to Mississippi State fans through the iTunes platform. It's one of the biggest podcasting platforms there is, so I'd really like to do that. Or you can also go on to Spotify, Google Play, Give us a five-star review there. Like I said, it would really help the show out a lot in terms of getting it out to other people. And I would personally appreciate it a lot. You don't have to write anything, but if you ever want to drop a line and just kind of give me a more personal take on how you listen to the show, what your view of the show is, I would love to hear from you as well. So, like I said, I would really appreciate it. But uh, if anything else, like I said, if you, want to, if you want to subscribe through those methods, you can. And those are available to you as well, including SoundCloud, which is where I know most of you are currently listening to the show. All right, it is time to get into the show. Like I said, this show is going to be a little bit different than what I normally do as I usually try to post two episodes a week. And it's just not going to make sense to do that this week because doesn't make a whole lot of sense to spend a ton of time looking back on the LSU game after, since most of you will be listening to this on Wednesday. Some of you will listen to it on Tuesday after I publish it, but most of you will get it on Wednesday. And doesn't make a whole lot of sense to, to really look back at the LSU game because it's been three or four days since that game took place. So we'll spend a little bit of time. I'll give a few thoughts about what took place on Saturday against the LSU Tigers. 
I'm going to spend most of the time doing what I would normally do in the late week edition of the podcast, and that is previewing the Texas A&M Aggies and just giving you my thoughts on what what it's going to be like for the Bulldogs if they want to go to Texas A&M and bring home a victory and try to get this season back on track. So just a couple of quick thoughts, though, about the LSU game. First and foremost, I do want to echo a lot of the sentiments that you've probably already heard, a lot of the sentiments that you've probably probably already have seen. Look, I think the effort was better. I think they played hard. I think they looked like they cared a lot more. I think there was a definite change in their approach to the game. But the problem with this is that we've, we've in, you know, 19 games, we've gone from from being excited about the actual play of the team to being excited about, hey, they played well. They, they played hard. They actually gave good effort. And that's not where you want this program to be after it was at a much higher place for the previous nine years under Dan Mullen. So that's a problem. Look, it's a step in the right direction. That's that's the one good thing that you have going for you is that it is a step in the right direction. They did make some progress, but it's a baby step. It's not like it's a huge step forward, but it is a team. It is a step that if you get that type of effort and you get that type of play from the players against Arkansas, against Ole Miss, you've got a really good chance to win because – you probably could have gotten by with poor effort against Arkansas. I'm not sure you could get by with poor effort against Ole Miss, but you could get by with you could win those three games that you need to win: to Arkansas, Abilene Christian, and Ole Miss. If they come out and they give the effort like they gave this past weekend against LSU, look, you weren't going to beat LSU. Like I said in the beginning of the show. You know, I was expect. I thought LSU would probably score mid to high forties, and I was thinking Mississippi State was probably going to score mid to low teens. And LSU ended up a little bit lower than that, and Mississippi State was right there in the ballpark, scoring thirteen points. So, like I said, it was about what you thought it was going to be. It, Mississippi State wasn't going to win this game. LSU has taken a monumental step forward in their new in their new offense with Joe Burrow leading the way, and he has really taken the reins of probably the Heisman Trophy race, and is doing and amazing job of leading his team to new new heights that we just haven't seen from this LSU program so and let's just and you know like I said it, it, that that result was always going to be the case this this past Saturday it, it always was there's no there's no doubt in my mind that that was going to be the outcome that was going to happen it was going to take a monumental effort to have something else happen. Now, look, you can take some positive, other positives away. Mississippi State was in that game for really the first first half. I mean, yes, it was twenty two to uh, twenty two to nine, if I remember correctly, at the half. So, I mean, it was starting to it was starting to get a little bit away from them. And I guess that's probably the disappointment. Right after you get them to to nine to seven, you've cut you've cut the lead. It's twenty two to seven. I'm sorry. Um, right after you have cut the lead down to two points, you've got a you're in a position to get a stop on the next drive and possibly put yourself into the driver's seat of that game. And then you have stupid mistakes. And that's just kind of been, you know, the calling card of the Joe Moorhead era. You got a guy who you stop him right about the 25 yard line on the kickoff return. Then I don't remember who it was commits the really dumb face mask. I mean, it was obvious. I mean, he rips the helmet off of the LSU ball carrier and that puts him at the 40 yard line. And then one or two plays later, they're in the end zone. And all of a sudden, it's now uh, 15 to 7. And then they end up getting another quick 
score right before the half, and all of a sudden it's 22-7. to seven. And, yeah, technically you're still in the game, but you kind of felt like the air was let out of the balloon at that point. And if I remember, now the one good thing is that Mr. State came out at the halftime, and they just actually they got their one and only three and out against the LSU. So they, they could have put, started to put some more points on the board, but the offense is what the offense is, and they just can't do it. So, so you know, like I said, those were some good things. Obviously, the same bad problems. You know, the defense looks better. Let's, that's another def, That's another positive. The defense looks like it's taking some strides forward. Some of these younger guys are getting playing time. They're starting to figure things out. So that's one thing that you, you kind of like seeing. I really think that eventually Nathan Pickering and – and Fabian Lovett are going to really be solid interior defensive linemen. I think they're starting to make some steps towards that. They still have ways to go, but they're, but the fact that you're having to rely on freshmen at this point is just a it's just a testament to where you are. You, you've got suspended players, you've got injuries, and they're having to rely on these guys. They weren't probably expecting to have to rely on them as much as they are this year, and they're just kind of making do with what – what they can, and but the defense is getting better. I mean, 36 points to the number one offense in the country. That's 16 points below their average. So it's a step in the right direction. It, look, it was going to be difficult to stop that offense regardless, but it was a step in the right direction. Like I said, you still got some of the same issues. For the third straight game, Kylan Hill has not been able to do anything offensively. The opposing team's defense has made the effort to completely shut him down, and they have. And Kylan's got to make some adjustments, and we'll talk about those once we get into the Texas a and preview portion of the show. But he's got to figure out some things out, and I think he can. I think he will, and we'll see if he does it this weekend. So, uh, look, other positive, Garrett Schrader continues to impress. He is He's going to be a special quarterback, whether it's Joe Moorhead as, at the helm or somebody else. He's going to be a special quarterback. I, he, it's hard to watch Garrett Schrader go out on the field, perform, compete the way that he does, and come away with any other opinion except for that fact. It's disappointing because I think if you put him in and you start him at Tennessee, or if you at least pull Tommy Stevens earlier when the offense is doing absolutely nothing, I think you probably beat Tennessee. And this season looks a lot different than it does today. But that's just kind of the way the ball bounces at this point. So... All right, so those are the things that you know I kind of took away from the LSU game. Let's go ahead and look towards let's look forward to the game against Texas A and M. Look, Mississippi State has struggled mightily. They've got a lot of issues, but Texas A and M is not really that great. I know they look. They got out to a really great start. They they beat Texas State forty one to seven. A lot of people are saying, "Oh man, this team looks a lot better. It looks a lot different." Then they beat Lamar sixty two to three after losing to Clemson twenty four to ten, and they only lost by fourteen points. People were like, "Oh wow, they only lost by fourteen to to Clemson." Well, then they lost to Auburn, and we saw what we've seen what Auburn is outside of the, the Mississippi State game. They're they're not a very good offense, and they gave up twenty eight points to Auburn. They barely beat Arkansas, thirty-one to twenty-seven, which might be the worst team in the SEC. It's between them and Vanderbilt at this point. And Vanderbilt has an SEC win. They lose to Alabama. It's it's really interesting. They, they against good teams, they can kind of put forward good showings and then kind of put forward good effort because forty-seven twenty-eight against Alabama. That's only a nineteen-point loss. I mean, it's not terrible. A lot of teams have lost worse to, to Alabama. But against Ole Miss, they were fighting for their lives against the Ole Miss Rebels, and they're not a good team. Look, they're an improving team in all likelihood. I mean, that's, that's probably one thing that you could say about Ole Miss, but they're not a good team. So, like I said, they're just a really weird team. 
And look, for these segments, I think I'm changing my approach. I've been doing three do's, three don'ts. I think I'm just going to change it to the things I want to see from Mississippi State. And here's the things that I want to see from Mississippi State when they take on the Texas A&M Aggies this weekend. First and foremost, I want to see that same effort that we saw against LSU this weekend. I want to see that same effort. If you give me that effort this weekend against Texas A&M, you've got a good chance to win. Now, look, you're a 10.5-point underdog. I think that's kind of high because I just don't think Texas A&M is that good. But you've got you've got a chance to win if you give the same type of effort that you gave this past weekend against the LSU Tigers. Now, Mississippi State under Joe Moorhead does not have a history of being able to give great effort on the road. Will they be able to do it this time around? I don't know. Look, the this series has been heavily in favor of the Bulldogs, especially for the past five years. Uh, I'm trying to – I guess technically – it's pretty even in terms of ever since I came in. I'm trying to think. 2012, 2013, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. Yeah. Uh, I think Mississippi State is four and... I think they're four and three against Texas A&M. Yeah, they're four and three against Texas A&M, but Mississippi State has won four of the last five. So this has been heavily in favor of Mississippi State these past few years. So you probably have some confidence going into this game. It's a team you've had success against. You want to continue to have the success that you've shown in the past. So I think there is a chance that this team could come out and play hard. I think Joe Moorhead can say, hey, look, you've done really well. We've, we've played well against these guys in the past. Go out and give you that same effort this weekend, and we'll we'll walk out of College Station with a win. Because you did it last time in 2017. You walked out with a pretty convincing win at that. I don't remember exactly how convincing it was, but I think it was like a three-touchdown win, if I'm not mistaken. Then last year, it did, wasn't quite as big of a margin of victory, but you still won pretty – you still won, kind of put the game away there late in the fourth quarter. And go back to 2015, and that's – sorry, 2016, where – Texas A&M came in the Starkville as a number three, number four ranked team in the college football playoff poll, and they ended up leaving Starkville with their tail between their legs to a Mississippi State team that had only won three games all season, so or four games. I can't remember if they had won three or four at that point, but so that's kind of where Mississippi State stands going into this game against Texas A&M. I want to see them give that effort. If they can give the effort, you got a chance. Second thing I want to see is I want to see Kylan Hill be Kylan Hill. I want to see him. Be more aggressive in his in his runs. I want to see him be more aggressive in his cuts. One thing he is trying to do, he is trying to do too much. I think he feels the burden of the offense not producing. I think he I think he knows that there is a lot of struggles right now for this offense. I think he's feeling that, and I think he's trying to do way too much. He makes too many cuts when sometimes he just needs to go straight ahead. There are times when he when he's trying to get to the corner when if he would just cut it up the field. He'd probably get two or three yards, but he keeps trying to get further outside, further outside, and it allows other defenders to come over and help out, and he ends up losing, not necessarily losing yards, but he ends up not gaining as much as he should. Where What could be a four- or five-yard run ends up being a, a two- or three-yard run because he, doesn't make, he, doesn't, he never makes the cut to go upfield. When he gets the ball in the middle, he's trying to dance around to find an opening that isn't going to that isn't there and isn't going to pop up and he ends up only gaining a yard or two i think his longest carry in the game against against uh lsu this past weekend look and part of it is lsu is a really good defense i mean let's let's go ahead and put that out there that's that's very true that lsu has a is a very good defense but 
it, it's not so good that that Colin Hill sh- shouldn't be able to do more than he did. I mean, he ended up only having 34 yards, a 2.3-yard average. He did have an 11-yard run, so that was his longest. But 11 of his 34 yards comes on one play. You know, I mean, that's the type of stuff that's that's got to get fixed. And like I said, some of it's on Colin Hill, some of it's on his, some of it's on his blockers, some of it's on the offensive line. Some of them are, they're, they're struggling. There's no doubt about that. But some of it is still on Kylan Hill. There's there's blame to go for both of them. I would like to see the the offensive line block a little bit better for Kylan Hill, but I would also like to see Kylan Hill do a little bit more in terms of creating those yards for himself because he's a talented enough running back to be able to do that. I would also like to see the offense find different ways to get into football. I would love to see him be more involved in the passing game. He is he would be extremely effective in the passing game. But once again, Kylan Hill this this past weekend gets one reception for five yards. I don't know why that continues to be a part of the offense that just has not shown up. Kylan Hill just does not get much of anything in the passing game. He's caught a total of eight passes on the year. We're seven games in. He's basically averaging one catch per game. He averages 9.4 yards per catch. You, you got to do better than that. He is too talented of a back uh, coming out of the backfield as a receiver as well to make plays for you that way. He's he's just too talented. You, you got to find different ways. So there's a lot of things about with Kylan Hill. I think they would would like to. I'd like to see fixed. Like I said, part of it is on Kylan Hill, but a lot of it is on Joe Moorhead and his offensive line doing some things better than what they have done here in the past. Another thing I'm going to look for. I want to look for. Garrett Schrader to continue to make a step forward. Look, I think I think Garrett Schrader could could have a breakout game in this game. If if they put forth the effort like we saw this past weekend, I think Garrett Schrader could kind of make his mark in the college football world against Texas A&M because he is basically a better passing version of Nick Fitzgerald. He's very similar in terms of height, in terms of size. He's faster than Nick Fitzgerald is, and he has a better. He's more accurate than Nick Fitzgerald. Nick Fitzgerald never completed fifty-eight and a half percent of his passes throughout his college career. That's where Garrett Schrader currently is. This past weekend, when he was given full control of the offense, he ended up completing sixty-one percent of his passes. So I, I would like. To, I think Garrett Schrader can have a a breakout game this weekend, and. The reason I say that is because Nick Fitzgerald had three monster games against Nick Fitz, against Texas A&M in his three games against the Aggies, and like I said, I think he's he's I think he's a more talented version of Nick Fitzgerald. So whatever they did to get Nick Fitzgerald in such a good position to be able to light up this Texas A&M defense, I think you could do the same things with Garrett Schrader. So Joe Moorhead and his coaching staff, they need to find a way to continue to build upon the success they've had at the quarterback back position for the past three years with Nick Fitzgerald and continue that success with Garrett Schrader because I think you can. I think there's a I think there's a lot of ways in which they can continue to exploit the Aggie defense because the Aggie defense is it's look, it's okay. It's good against the run. It's not spectacular, it's but it's good. Uh, they Texas A&M gives up a total of I had it pulled up. Let me pull it up again. They give up 135 yards per game on the ground, which is pretty good. They, uh, you know, let me see what they do against uh, teams that actually try to run the ball. I think they struggled a little bit against Auburn. 
Uh, I think they struggled a little bit against Ella. They really struggled against Ole Miss this past weekend. I don't have their schedule up in front of me, but I know whenever Jerrion Ely and John Rice Plumley were wanting to run, they could. Uh, and some of the other Ole Miss backs, uh, they, they, ha- they had a lot of success on the ground. So I think Mississippi State could have success on the ground, but I think where you really want to have most of your success, though, is through the air like Nick Fitzgerald has had the past three years because they give up a total of 200 points, 200 yards per game, uh, almost six yards per attempt. They give up nine touchdowns. They've intercepted eight. And I think that's where you beat them. If you've got a quarterback like Garrett Schrader who can beat you with his legs and with his arm, I think you, you've got a, I think you stand a really good chance against this Texas A&M offense. I really, I'm sorry, this Texas A&M defense. I, that's, so that's what I want to see. That's one of the things I'm looking for this weekend is can Garrett Schrader continue to build upon the things that Nick Fitzgerald did when he was here as the quarterback. Another thing I'm looking for, I want to see Osiris Mitchell get more get back involved in, in the offense. We haven't seen that much of him in the past couple of weeks. Last week against the LSU Tigers, I don't know that he had a single catch. No, he had no catches last week. I don't remember how many he had against against Tennessee, but he's kind of disappeared the last two weeks. I want to see him get back involved. He's shown so much potential and so much promise the first five games of the year, and now all of a sudden he's kind of disappeared all of a sudden. I don't know if it's because other teams are starting to key in on him or what it may be, but he's he had had a good year up until this point. You know, We're still looking for that elusive 500-yard receiver, and it looked like it was going to be Osiris Mitchell all year long, but these past two games, he's you haven't seen much from him. I want to see Osiris Mitchell get back involved, and I want to see Stephen Guidry have built upon some of the success he had against LSU. Look, he did have a drop because that's what that's what Stephen Guidry does. He has drops. But he had a really good game against LSU. It was an underrated part of the game against the, the Tigers is that Stephen Guidry might have had a breakout performance. He had six catches for 98 yards. He had one touchdown, uh, long of 24. You saw Isaiah Zuber get involved a little bit. He had three catches for 53 yards. So there was a lot of – there were some positives there in the offense. I, I know that it was hard to find with the fact that – you know, you lose by 23 points, but there were a lot of positives that Mississippi State could take away from the offense in terms, especially in terms of the receivers. They didn't get anything from their leading receiver in Osiris Mitchell, and they still had a total of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven people catch passes last week. I still like to see Farad Green get more involved. I would still like to see some of those things happen as well. Dedrick Thomas, I mean, he did have three receptions last week, but I would still like to see. You know some other people get involved that we've counted on in the past, but there were some there were some positives there with the receiving core. Like I said, Stephen Guidry he did have a drop, but he had six catches that were, and, and he showed this. Is, and it's been the frustrating part about Stephen Guidry, he showed what he's capable of at times in that game. He's got a ton of potential. He just can't catch the ball consistently, and that gets really really old and really really frustrating at times because you just are waiting for him to break out and be the star that he could be, but he just, it's like there are just times when he just does not seem to click, and it's really frustrating. So maybe that's kind of a step in the right direction for him. All right, some other things I want to see. I want to see the defense make a big jump forward, because we saw a little step forward for the defense this past weekend against LSU. Look, they gave up a bunch of yards to the Tigers. They gave up a bunch of points. But it wasn't as bad as anybody thought it would be. Like I said, I, I was thinking mid to high 40s is what they were going to end up getting. I saw a lot of people who were predicting that LSU would hit the 50s. 
I want to see the defense continue to make the stride forwards that they need to. And I want to see a big one. Because if you make a big step forward this weekend, you made a small step forward last week. If you make a big one this week without your suspended players, and I don't think any of them will play, then you've got a chance you've got a chance to steal a game this weekend. If you get those young guys on the defensive line playing up to their potential, because they have a ton of potential. It's just unrealized potential at this point. If you get them to play up to their potential for this game, then you can really shut down an Aggie offense that that honestly struggles at times. Look, they do average like 400 yards per game, if I'm not mistaken. Let me find let me find it. Total offense. Uh, average per game, 408. Yeah, they average 408 yards per game. But a lot of that has come against Lamar. A lot of that came against Texas State. They haven't put up the points in the they haven't put up the points and they haven't put up the yards in their games against conference opponents or against Power Five opponents. And let's look at it this way: against Power Five opponents, they have scored ten against Clemson, twenty against Auburn, thirty-one against Arkansas, twenty-eight against Alabama, and twenty-four against Ole Miss. That's not exactly lighting the scoreboard up. I would go through and look up the yardages, but that would take really too long for me to be able to, for me to do that. But you get the point. This is a, against Power Five teams. I was going to say good teams, but really just against Power Five teams because Arkansas is not a good team. Against Power Five teams, they are averaging. Let me see if I can figure it up real quick, and I will tell you because that's going to bother me now that I've started talking about it. Okay, so if we add up that, it ends up being a total of 113 points divided by 5, and you get 22.6. 22.6. Let's just say Mississippi State holds Texas A&M to their average against Power 5 opponents, which is 23 points. You've got to score 24. Look, I know this offense hasn't done a whole lot, and I know this offense hasn't been real impressive the past few weeks, but... Again, you showed me the effort that you showed last weekend, and I think you can get to 24. I really, truly believe that. It's up to the defense, though, to continue to make that step forward that it made this past weekend, make an even bigger step forward this weekend, and really put the brakes on the Texas A&M offense. Like, Gellman is not that great. His, I mean, his stats are kind of deceiving. And I think, again, this kind of goes back to the fact that it, they've lit up Texas State, and they lit up Lamar. but Because if you look at his stats, let me pull up his stats real quick. Uh, Kellamond, he is completed 62.5% of his passes. He averages 252 yards per game, 13 touchdowns, 6 interceptions. Uh, he runs for about 39 yards per game. He's got 3 touchdowns. And that's the thing. Uh, there is no real huge rushing threat on this Texas A&M defense. Their leading average per game is uh, Deshaun Corbin, but he doesn't get, he doesn't play that much. He's only got, he's only played in two games. Uh, he's got a 68 and a half yard average. I wonder if he was hurt because that seems kind of odd that their leading rusher would have. The guy who leads them per game rushing would only play in two games. So I'm wondering if he got hurt. I really don't know. But Isaiah Spiller is their leading rusher. He averages 51.43 yards per game, which is fine. Uh, he's got a 5.4 yard average which is also fine, but it's not spectacular. Um, I mean, like I said, they're not the threat to run the ball. They're going to try to, if they're going to move the ball, it's going to be in the air. And that's this next thing I want to see from the, this this defense. I want to see 
the corners step up because Maurice Smitherman is out for the year. He's he's he injured something. I don't remember what it was he injured, but he is gone for the year. That means Jerry and Jones is probably going to have to have a much bigger role on this football team in in the in the coming games. Uh, Emerson, I can never remember his last name. He will probably end up having to have a play a much bigger role in uh, for the Bulldog. Martin Emerson, that's his name. Uh, he's probably going to have to have a much bigger role on the team as well. They're freshmen, and they're have, going to be recall, called upon more. So one of those two guys is going to have to step up and crack down a, a good receiving core. They're not a spectacular receiving core, they're, but they're a good receiving core. Uh, they, their leading receiver is Jamon, I think is how it's pronounced. Uh, Jamon Osmond. Uh, he's got, he averages 79 yards per game. Uh, they're leading touchdown. Uh, they're leading their leading receiver in terms of touchdowns is uh, Courtney Davis, who has four. He averages 64 yards per game. But they don't have a huge big play threat in this offense like they have in years past during this Kevin Sumlin era. They don't have that guy who can go out and get them 20 yards per catch. Uh, I mean, their leading receivers, every single one of them, are right around 13 yards per catch, which is about average. It's not spectacular. It's not bad, but it's not. It's not like just going to like wow you to to see them getting you know 13 yards per catch. So you want to see a you want to see these young the secondary be the strength that a lot of people thought it was going to be because Cam Dancer is really good. He is good. I, I don't know that he's good enough to go into the NFL just quite yet. He could, but I'm not 100 percent convinced of it at this point. So I would like to see these these young guys really take a step forward and help help the defense out a lot because they they're going to need it this weekend. The other thing I want to see is an intangible thing. Texas A&M, ever since they came into the SEC, they have not played that great at home against SEC opponents. Look, they're they're if you went went just by home record, their home record would be fine because it has typically it has wins against non-conference opponents in there as well. In the seven years that Texas A&M has been a part of the SEC, I'm not counting anything for this year, in the games they've played in College Station, I'm not counting the games they've played in Arlington against the Arkansas Razorbacks because that is not a home game. It's a neutral side game. Look, it's probably more of a Texas A&M advantage than it is for, for Arkansas, but any of the games that were played in College Station, Texas A&M has won 10. They're not even averaging two wins in College Station per year. Now, last year, they won all three games that were played in College Station. So maybe this is a step in the right direction. But they also seem to be trending backwards as well for this year under Jimbo Fisher because this doesn't look like it's going to be much more than a 6 or 7 win team. If you look at the schedule and look at what they have still in front of them, it's it does not appear that this is going to be a, at best a 6 win team, maybe 7 if they can win against Mississippi State, against their one of their other non-conference opponents. That would take them to 6. I think they may have one other winnable game as well. South Carolina, they'd have to win South Carolina. They'd have to win really all of those games to get to 7 because they still have Georgia on the schedule, and I don't think they're beating Georgia, and they still have LSU on the schedule. I don't think they're beating LSU. So, if you're... If you're Mississippi State, you want to take advantage of the fact that Texas A&M traditionally has not played well in College Station. They just haven't. Now, look, so hard as it is the teams they have played, they've played some good teams because they're in the SEC West. That's just part of it. But, you know, some of it is they, they've lost to some bad teams in that time as well. So, like I said, I, I want to see you take advantage of that. I want to see if you can continue to make the non- 
home field advantage that Texas a has always had, if you can keep that going. Because if you can, then you, you, you got a chance this weekend. Look, if you've, if you've listened to this podcast and you haven't realized that I believe that Mississippi State could win this game, it's, it's very true. And the only thing that is going to keep me from predicting Mississippi State to win on Saturday is the fact that I need to see it first. I, at this point, with Joe Moorhead, unfortunately, he has put himself in a situation where we're going to have to see some results before we can start believing that things are going things will get better. Look, I still think you can beat Arkansas. I still think you can beat Appling Christian. I still think you can beat Ole Miss. I still think you can get to a bowl game, but I'm not convinced those things are going to happen. But I still think you can. Now, if you beat Texas a this weekend, you're putting yourself, you make a lot of people believe those things are much more likely to happen, myself included. And you also start to kind of relieve some of the tension that you've put on yourself by losing to Kansas State, by losing to, to Tennessee, and playing poorly against Auburn, and just not looking like you were even happy to be there. It's like you were just out there just going through the motions because there was a game on the schedule and you didn't have anything else that you, you could do about it. Like, like, like I said, I think you can beat Texas a but until I see them beat an opponent that's either as good as them or better than them at this point, um, I, I just cannot predict it. Uh, look, I would love to be wrong about this game coming up on Saturday, but I, I really think Texas a is going to find a way to win. I think it's going to be – I think Mississippi State, some of these offensive struggles are still going to show up. I think Garrett Schrader will play well, but he will not get much help. I'm afraid Kylan Hill is still going to be a little bit bottled up because he seems to be in a funk right now. And so I'm thinking my, my prediction right now is Texas A&M 24, Mississippi State 17. That's kind of where I see this game playing out. Look, I don't think it's going to take much to beat Texas A&M. Like I said, you know, if you hold them to around their average, which, like I said, it was 22 and a half points, so you hold them to around 23 points, you don't got to score but 23 or 24 yourself. But right now, with the way this offense is performing, the way that the Joe Moorhead has kind of unraveled here these past few weeks, I just do not have the confidence to say that Mississippi State can get the 24 points. And that's kind of a sad state of affairs because I thought I, I was hoping this year would kind of give us some hope that the Joe Moorhead offense would work. And look, it still might with Garrett Trader at the quarterback. It still might. But like I said earlier, we, we got to see some results before we can start even thinking that that's a possibility. And right now we don't have any of those results. So. All right, guys, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up the show there. I appreciate you guys tuning in. I plan to do two shows next week. Hopefully, things will work out a little bit better for me next week than they have these past two weeks. So, I appreciate you guys tuning in. And as always, until next time, hell state.